Uh, Corey just hit record. I just hit record. Out of nowhere. <laughs> That's right. I just went for it. They didn't expect it. Um, hey, North Langley and uh, anyone else who's listening, uh, welcome to the After Sunday podcast. My name is Corey, and I am here with our esteemed leader, Matthew Price, as well as Tim McCarthy, the wonderful but often misunderstood yeah, Tim special McCarthy. special guest. Special guest. Glad Represent. to be here. Uh, yeah, guys, how you doing? Doing good. We just listened to Bonnie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some good news, right? Good news. Bonnie Henry, that's right. Some COVID updates. Things are starting to open up. Yep, that's really good. So maybe, maybe the uh, the Sunday, what is it, June, what's the Sunday after the 15th? June 20th, is that right? I think it's the 20th. That that could be, we could have people in our in mm-hmm. the building. Awesome. Yeah, I think so. sounded like. Hey, you know what? So I don't forget, uh, Matthew, you and I were talking about this today. I want to throw out a disclaimer to our listeners. Uh, none of what you're about to hear is true. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> That's not it. Uh, no, but uh, but we were talking about. It. I think uh, Matthew, you were saying like sometimes you get you get pushback from people, or people be like, "Hey, like I'm not sure if I didn't know that the church believes this or whatever." And and I think we wanted to reiterate, uh, or at least say that these these podcasts are are not necessarily like representing the this you know the church doctrine on you know particular theology or yeah. vaccinations or yes. or like you know how old the earth is or um it's more of a it's more of a dialogue a, a fun conversation uh, i certainly do not prepare for these right yeah. <laughs> so matthew does more so than i do and actually to be matthew you get more of the, you get more of the uh the feedback than i do thankfully but yeah um, but Corey would welcome your letters as well <laughs> well uh you know yeah as long as they're affirming and make me feel good about myself yes for sure <laughs> exactly no i think i so i've had some a couple good conversations with people who have kind of wondered like in particular we did a podcast on genesis and then the most recent one on vaccines yeah. and going, is this the stance of the church? Right. Which is, a, which is an interesting question because I never thought about it. Right. Like I was like, no, it's my stance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I never, like, I never came over to Tim. I'm pointing at Tim right now um, to ask him. Uh, well, actually, I did. I asked you. Maybe not about Genesis, but I definitely asked you All about All the smart things in that podcast were mine anyway. So <laughs> we're no, it's anyways, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's probably true, yeah. But I thought, oh, I think sometimes the podcast could feel like it's the official teaching of North Langley. And right. I'm like, well, it's not really. It's just a conversation that we're having about mm-hmm. things. And uh, it's an interesting... I guess I haven't landed the plane on this like medium, right? Like I'm, un- I'm unsure of what, a, what authority a podcast actually has because I know that... For instance, Sunday morning, I want to like really prepare and yeah, like yeah. I think through like the three of us have preached and it's like we we prepare, we go to the scriptures, we're prayerful, we're thinking about it, and then we deliver what we've kind of thought almost of every sentence, you know. But then a podcast format is like we're there's banter, we're mm-hmm. just kind of chatting. It's kind of some stuff is off the cuff. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I forget to do what I would do in a sermon. Like in a sermon, sometimes I would give a very kind. Uh, tip of the hat to the other side, somebody who right, thinks right. differently than mm-hmm. me. Yes. But I've noticed on the podcast, sometimes I don't do that. Like I don't, right. I don't kind of go, Hey, there's great godly people who think that the world is that, you know, that creation was made in six days or something <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know? And, and I'm like, Oh, like I, so anyway, sometimes a podcast can feel messier. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which, and I think that's what, I think it's what, it's certainly what I enjoy about other podcasts. I think I, I enjoy just the, what feels like transparency and kind of off the cuff, you know, like uh, joking around, bantering, maybe, maybe getting caught off guard or, you know, just kind of the, the human. And I've talked to a few people that have, that have said to me, one of the things we really like about the podcast is just, is some of that, just sort of the banter and the, and the kind of the human, not that again, whatever. It's not, I think when you're, when you are more prepared, 
like for a sermon, it does, it feels differently than a conversation over coffee. This is almost more like a conversation over coffee in a way than, than a right. sermon, right? Yeah. And it really is actually kind of funny because like when we've done these podcasts, like different audiences will get a little bit ruffled. Right. By like, so like we've, we've done uh, these, these podcasts on Genesis and vaccines and it feels like people who kind of lean a little bit more to the right on mm-hmm. conservative issues have yeah. gotten a little flustered. Yes. But then we, we did one on violence in the Old Testament and then one on deconstruction. And yeah, yeah, those right, right. like kind of my right leaning friends appreciated. And then s- some of our more lefty friends were like, didn't really like those. Yes. Very right, much. Right, right. So <laughs> hopefully we can just continue to produce podcasts that make that bug everybody. everyone. That yeah. bug everybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That make exactly. everyone upset. Um, okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, hey, we, um, we're talking today about our... It's, it's How's that rat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the rat. Hey, no updates on the rat. I promise I have not asked Corey in the last He hasn't week. actually asked. No, no, there's no update on the rat. We're, uh, so I think maybe rat season is over, which is great. I don't, we haven't really seen him much. And remember, Matthew, whenever you move that microphone, we're going to all hear it. <laughs> Just so you know. Oh, for real? Yeah, for real. Oh. It's okay. Um, yeah, but no rats, no rats at all. Okay. Um, I don't think there's a thing called rat season, but continue. <laughs> it's like, it's in some countries, rats are a delicacy. Yeah, no, uh, rats are good. I'm good. But okay. So, Hey, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Tim, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome here. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Um, thank you for the sermon on Sunday. Yeah, it was great. Yes. And, um, I know that Tim worked quite hard on that sermon, and I know mm-hmm. that this sermon is something that you believe um, deeply as you've been invested in quite a journey over the last couple years. Um, you know, today, just as we all begin to engage a conversation here, I'm going to just to give everyone just a window into what we're about to do. Tim is going to give a bit of a recap of the sermon on Sunday, and then, um, and then I'm going to just kind of give five areas of uh, pushback uh, on the sermon. Now, everyone needs to know I'm not pushing back as though I hadn't heard what Tim was going to preach on because he and I talked a lot about it beforehand. But just it was kind of like just five thoughts that I had that like when I was sitting there listening to you preach, um, you know, these I started scribbling notes down like on a pad of paper. And I thought these these might be some of the questions that people might have, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, after like listening to your sermon. There were a few questions that I had and then you know, uh, what I think people might be asking. But uh, again, we want to come and and we want to have like a good dialogue coming from maybe um, opposite ends of the aisle, as it were. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that we all today experience a little bit of what um, uh, the Shalom series was about. And actually something I really love about our staff team is that I think our staff team has this ability to kind of just chat openly about like hard things and, and, and uh, and Tim and I have talked a lo- about a lot of this stuff many times. We've just stopped in a hallway or we've been in a uh, staircase. You know, we've been chatting about some of these issues. So uh, I want to come today as like we said last time with the vaccines, like as a chimpanzee, you know, uh, a rhino just if he doesn't understand something, he just runs into it and bulldozes it but a chimpanzee uh picks it up looks at it spins it around puts it on his head licks it just tries to discover more about it and i want to do that with this idea of corporate confession like let's explore what this means and it really is a big deal it's a big topic and we want to come come humbly so yeah tim do you want to just begin by just giving maybe someone's listening to this and they they didn't hear you on sunday just give us the big points uh Mm -hmm. from from sunday yeah so um, obviously, we're in this series on confession, and we've had lots of conversations about why that's important for discipleship. And I think just um, 
you know, I, I like learning about history. I like learning about a lot of different things. And, and um, one of the things that as we talked about the series that just kept being laid on my own heart was the fact that there are there are things that we do together, that there, there are ways that we sin together. And so I was really kind of getting at that point that the confession of sin can't just be this um, uh, personal, private, like me and God, me and that person that I cut off or that person that I didn't talk to for a long time or that kind of thing. But there's ways that we sin together. And I had that picture of the, the, you know, the rope where it's like there's individual sins, but then we sin together. Often we sin together many times. Sometimes we structure things. We make customs. We make laws. We make things that build a culture over time that just make it so sin is pervasive in lots of different ways. And, and you know, to, to j- only make sin a private thing um, means that all of those things aren't addressed. And, and, and if they're not addressed, they still have power in our lives. And so... Um, and that's, I think, a biblical principle as well. Be- at least, I mean, certainly with the, the people of Israel, like God didn't just say, each individual person who happens to live in this region of Israel do the right thing. Like they were held accountable as a whole society for how they lived and how their laws w- reflected justice and reflected a devotion to God and these kinds of things. And God warned them right at the beginning of giving their law, the law, that, that you know, if they did wrong, if they mistreated each other, if they ignored him, that the there, there would be consequences to that, and eventually they could even forfeit their right to being there where God had given them a place to live. And, you know, he says that in early in the law, he says that when Solomon builds the temple, and at the when you read at the end of uh, Second Chronicles that Jerusalem finally falls to Nebuchadnezzar, the writer says this happened because they stopped paying attention to God and all of the things that are part of that. That's why they're in exile, um, why they are in exile, not just each individual person. So there's this sense that the whole body politic is held accountable for what was, even though surely in Israelite society there were some that were nicer people and some that were less nice people and some that were more considerate and some that were least, less considerate and some that were horrible people and you know, there's a whole spectrum of people. Um, and so I talked about how, you know, Daniel, who's this righteous man in the middle of Babylonian exile, realizes and is reading the scriptures, reading Jeremiah and going, wow, this all happened exactly as God warned us to. And he prays in confession and he doesn't say they sinned. He says we sinned. And he identifies fully with what his people did collectively as, as an individual member of that society. And later on, Nehemiah leads the people to do the same thing. When they hear the law, they're back in the land now, and they hear the law, and they're going, man, we have fallen so far from what God intended. And they recount this story, and it says they confess the sins, their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Um, confess that that's why we're here in this situation where we had to go into exile, where we are still on, in subjugation to this Persian Empire. This is not what God dreamed for us to be in. Lord, have mercy on us. You know, look at us. We're in distress. And so all of those things is just are illustrations of what it means when a people, particularly the people of God, who have these standards that they're sort of, be, you know, called to live by, um, uh, don't live by that and live out the consequences and now say they tell the truth 
they acknowledge the truth to God and say, we're not where we're supposed to be, and it's our fault. We did this. Um, and so then I just talk through, like, how does that play out in, in some of the, you know, the areas of society, and, and why would a Christian that lives as a Canadian or that lives in British Columbia or that is part of the church that sees these collective things happen over history and even, in, in, you know, there are things that happen in the present. I didn't participate that in, you know, as an individual person, but I'm part of a society that does act that way, and I certainly haven't done anything again or to counter it. So then I'm participating in it, even in a more indirect way. And confession is telling the truth about that and then grappling with what does that mean for me as a person who lives under the gospel that lives under God's standard of justice and righteousness what does it mean when I see the truth and I acknowledge it and now do I just go yeah it's kind of that way that's the way it is or do I begin to repent change direction do something different that's at least a sign that it should be different as Mm -hmm. opposed to just going hey that's the way it is that's just how life goes so It was just a challenge, really, for us to be thinking about sin not only in that individualistic way, but in the collective way. And the, yeah. the, there was the practical implication, or one practical application of that is, from f- at least in my own journey, is learning about the things that happened and uh, continue to happen to First Nations people within our country. Yes. Um, but that's just one illustration. It could be a totally different story in a different country, in a different region. Different regions may have different levels of complicity in yeah. the bad things that are done. Um, it's just an example, and that principle of corporate sin applies in all kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah. It across was across history. Tim, you, you, I would like just for everyone who's listening, just to know, like, I feel like you have taken this so seriously in your life. Like, so I would say. Um, even though we're about to have a discussion where I'm going to push back at stuff, you mm-hmm. literally embody this. Like, like Tim McCarthy is going to probably say something humble right now, but <laughs> don't, <am>. don't. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, I do want to say though, cause I, what? I feel sheepish because I feel like here I am engaging in this conversation sure. early in my own journey of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like I have a great deal of experience in taking responsibility, taking my responsibility for the corporate level of sin Mm. or engaging in reconciliation. I feel like I'm just at the beginning of that conversation. So, you know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm just kind of going, I think Jesus is leading us here. Yeah. I have no idea what it looks like yet, but, but your heart, let's go together. (laughs) Your heart is totally in the right place. And I, and when I, when I feel pushback, with the idea of corporate confession, I sometimes wonder if my heart's in the right place. Mm. So I'll be honest about that because I, I, I think your heart is in the right place, Tim. And I think one of the, one of the biggest aha moments for me, I don't know what you would say, Corey, but in the sermon was just that simple uh, idea of when the Canucks uh, win, we say we win. And when the Canucks (laughs) lose, we say they lose. And Mm -hmm. I think when we look at Christian history and we go, weren't we awesome? We Mm. like, you know, the church, like we fed the poor and during the plagues we helped people and we, you know, we were persecuted. We were thrown to the lions mm-hmm. and then the crusades, it's like, yeah, they, a bunch of Christians, they, yeah, they did yeah, the they, crusade. Yeah, yeah. They so weren't so real Christians. They weren't real Christians. Yeah. Right. And you're kind of like, well, okay. <laughs> totally. It, yeah. it, so that was a good point in the sermon. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Corey. No, I don't really, I, I really enjoyed, I felt really challenged by the sermon and uh, I thought, I thought it was really great. I, th- I felt like 
yeah, it felt prophetic to me. It felt like kind of what you're saying. I think Jesus is leading us here. I definitely felt personally challenged in it because I think that I too, I, I easily slip into lots of great, well, I'll speak for myself. I, I slip into lots of great thoughts about things that I think are good thoughts, actually, um, sometimes. But but often, you know, the action side of it doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always actually carry out where it's like, yeah, so I'm actually, and I love, I love seeing, I think that's such a beautiful Sorry, I'm now vamping, but I, I think it's a beautiful thing when you have someone who has these great thoughts, and then is actually putting, putting some uh, some action to it all. And I do see, mm-hmm. I I see that in you, Tim. And I know that you're saying that it's an early part of the journey, but I think that it, it's it's actually really exciting too, mm-hmm. then, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's cool that God's God's pushing into this stuff. Yeah. So I thought it was awesome. I love I love the sermon. I thought it was great. Um, thanks, guys. Well, Corey, I guess you're just better than I am. <laughs> I don't know if better is the right way word. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I did think it was great. And I, so here the fi- here, here's my first pushback. The first, yeah. the first is, is, and it's not really what you did. It's, it's, it's what the sermons like these could feel like. Mm-hmm. So I almost just want to talk about like, what was North Langley doing on Sunday? Mm-hmm. And um, how can, so here's my pushback. How can corporate confession be done in a way that's not simply virtue signaling, yeah. right? So, so virtue, sig- vir- virtue signaling is, is simply a way of signaling to everyone that you that I am virtuous, right? It's just a little way of just highlighting. Um, I think it's like when you go into stores and there's like a rainbow flag. It's just like, hey, just you know, we're a shoe store, but just wanted to let you know, like we've got a rainbow flag, mm-hmm. so we're <laughs> you know we're allies in the LGBTQ. It's like, well, we didn't really ask, but I guess that's just like a little signal that you're on the right side of history or something, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, you know, I have felt that sometimes corporate confession can feel empty at times, right? Like I, I think it was like 2005 or something. Maybe maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was uh, later than that, but Stephen Harper did an official apology to First Nations. Mm-hmm. 2008? 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, an official apology. Um, uh, I just found out today, it was 1986, that the United Church apologized for residential schools. And 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 did that did that help? Was was the Canadian government or the United Church just trying to like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we're just going to ap- give a verbal apology here, and do we really mean it? Um, so anyway, are, are we at North Langley just trying to be the woke church that's virtue signaling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And I, I mean, we talked about this not long after, uh, it's a year ago today that George Floyd was killed. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we talked about that even within that week, right? When that, when the footage came out and, uh, you know, that's, I mentioned that in the sermon, right? I posted this, this meme that, um, that I can't breathe meme. And I didn't really know a lot about it, but he couldn't breathe. He died. And it just, it created this huge flurry. And I was like, ah, I've just waded into something that I actually don't really know the details of. Hmm. And, um, and that was part of, I think what prompted me to go, what do I have? I have nothing to say if I don't really know much about this. So, Hmm. so I think that one of the things that makes it not just virtue signaling is we have to lean into getting a true knowledge of what's what happens in, in whatever it is this whatever the situation is that maybe is suggested that we need to be confessing or, or telling the truth about you know um, so it it can't just be oh there's these memes going around and I better be part of it I wouldn't li- I wouldn't want to be the one left out you know um, it might actually be better to hold back on some of those kinds of things and then 
you know, learn the true nature of the things that are going on as best you can, and then ask God, how do we lean into that in a way that's meaningful? Mm. Um, that, you know, might include posting things on social media eventually, but it, but that's, that's the least of the things that need to be done when there's reconciliation involved, when there's confession, when there's acting in the face of the truth. Um, so I, I was thinking about um, that verse in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. Uh, Paul says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and, bring, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And we've probably hear, heard that voice or that verse before, right? That it, and we think of that again in the individualistic sense, and that's appropriate too. That godly sorrow brings a change of direction that brings salvation, and salvation can mean you know that's a word, a New Testament word that means healing, it means restoring, it means a few different things, right? But then Paul continues in verse eleven, and he says. And he's talking to the Corinthian church who's had all these problems, right? And he says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you've proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So, you know, Paul's saying that, you know, true confession, godly sorrow where you look at this sin that's been committed, and at whatever level that you're complicit or corrupted or participating in it, and you go, oh, God, that is wrong. That godly sorrow doesn't just go, I suck. I'm just a horrible person. I guess that's it. And that's where, like, the white fragility thing sometimes comes in, white guilt and all that kind of thing. But that that can be dismissed too easily as well. But, it, the, like, godly sorrow produces this deep earnestness and indignation against injustice and a desire to see justice done, you know? Right. So virtue signaling is putting the flag up or posting the thing and then not doing anything. Um, and I think that's been the last the journey that I've tried to, tried to be on this year that I, you know, I don't think a year proves anything, actually, Um Talk to be you know talk to the people around me in five years and say did this produce what it was meant to produce right I think um, sure because because particularly in areas of racial justice relationship between First Nations people and settler like these kinds of things this is a generation's work or more so godly sorrow it calls us to that kind of work and that mm. if we're committed to that kind of work then it's not virtue signaling right if if it's like and i i think there's a value there has to be an official apology from a government or from you know the presbyterian church 1992 they did it's a beautiful very detailed confession of the impact of residential schools and if you go on the presbyterian website now there's tons of great resources and evidence that their churches are doing something um to to do to to make a difference or uh the Mennonite churches have put together some resources responding to the UN declaration of the rights of indigenous peoples and you know where they're like they're going on walks they're visiting reservations they're getting involved in clean water initiatives they're like they're actively getting involved that's that's the kind of work the church is called to do mm. 
that isn't virtue signaling. Right. No, yeah. that that that's fair. And and I didn't I didn't think that's what we were doing. I think like it I think somebody who um who heard your message kind of in the current times we're living yeah. in, it it could feel like maybe Northland is just trying to jump on a cool 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 train or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I would just say like I feel like um I like what you said. I was I was going to say what you said, Tim, but like just the Stephen Harper apology, like just in response to what you said. Like I do feel like because it's not it's not it's not like those are the only two options. Is it virtual virtual signaling, or is it legit? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm like there's there's like 160 things between all that too. So mm -hmm. there it could be like like so even if even if the the apology that uh, you know a Canadian nation made to the First Nations people, I'm like. Uh, like that that's that's a big deal and that's that's a it's a it's very much saying th in fact it's almost like what we talked about earlier with the church saying is this official church doctrine you know and we're like no no this is just a conversation but when the prime minister of canada stands up and says we mm -hmm. as a nation we are saying this was wrong like we we have done something bad as a nation this should never have happened we apologize like at the very least that's already a good thing now yeah, obviously you hope true. that there's way more fruit out of it true and that's but it but it is the beginning and it's a good mm -hmm. beginning to hopefully uh, a fruitful journey. And maybe we haven't done enough since then, but it definitely, in my opinion, does mm -hmm. not make that worthless. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, just a few years ago, Pope Francis said that they wouldn't be apologizing, right, mm -hmm. in 2018 or something like that. Yeah. And I remember Justin Trudeau reading that from the, the declaration from the Catholic mm -hmm. Church, which was weird because two-thirds of the residential schools were Catholic mm -hmm. schools. And it's like, well, that's unfortunate. So... Mm -hmm. So an apology is good, right? Like yeah. when there's a, when there's a lack of one, we feel yes, totally. Not we feel it. I don't know if I feel it, but but anyway. Um, but that point, I guess, of the are we just being a woke church? I think the point is, I think if we go to the history and we look at the last 450 years of settler First Nations relations, for example, or the last 150 years of you know official Canadian policy and all the ways that people participated in that, if you go to America, and you look at a number of the things that happened across all the way from the bringing of the first slaves to to um, you know segregation and Jim Crow and mass incarceration and you know all the th redlining, all that kind of stuff. It's like there's like you should acknowledge that that's there, and there are still dynamics going on. And right. even today, if you do, if you, it doesn't take long to discover the way that present policy is doing damage to First Nations people in our in our country. And so telling the truth would say, well that's not good. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um and and I'm alive in the time when that's happening. Yeah. So yeah. that godly sorrow, <laughs> eagerness to do justice. Yes. No, I like that. That's good. text for this this next sunday second corinthians 7 mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a good one on repentance all right uh second pushback uh that i had was just it seems like daniel confessed the sins of israel and most of it seemed to be about false worship so mm -hmm. like turning away from god so daniel 9 9 to 11 says the lord our god is merciful this is daniel's prayer the lord our god is merciful and forgiving even though we've rebelled against him we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. So corporate confession for Daniel had a lot to do with turning away from God's law. 
part of God's law was how they treated the oppressed and the poor. But a huge part of it had to do with idolatry and the worship of other gods. Um, that seemed to be why they were in exile. Um, it seemed like it's a bundle. It's a bundle of things, mm -hmm. not, not just one thing. So the idea of corporate confession, that idea of corporate confession, I felt was missed in the sermon. Um, mm -hmm. That's not to judge your sermon. I just felt like maybe the focus was on on one, one, one aspect. Mm -hmm. But the idea of coming before God and asking for, for forgiveness for the sins that we are doing, like, like, you know, not to pick on us as North Langley, but like how much sexual sin is currently happening at North mm -hmm. Langley or how much um, uh, of our love of money or greed or worshiping success or image or pornography or consumerism. Like if we looked at our church and saw what we were doing, how mm -hmm. could we together come and say, Lord, we're so sorry. Um, Daniel knows that Israel's in Babylon because mm -hmm. Israel worshiped gods like Baal and Moloch. So Daniel focused on confessing false worship, which was disobeying God. Anyway, so I I felt like your sermon focused on justice issues mm -hmm. and looked at corporate confession uh, to others for things we've done to them. Mm -hmm. But it feels like Daniel and Nehemiah aren't asking others for forgiveness. They're actually going vertical mm -hmm. rather than horizontal. And they're coming to God asking him to forgive them for their disobedience. So did did you want to like ex either expand on your sermon or say, what? yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the Old Testament, there's very little different. Or, I mean, I guess if the law can be summarized as love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, yeah. then when false worship happens, injustice will happen, and that mm -hmm. that's what you see in the life of Israel. You know, and 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 often they were worshiping Baal, and well, I guess Israel, the Northern Kingdom, was mostly worshiping Baal and mm -hmm. Moloch, and you know those kinds of things. The Southern Kingdom tended to still be pretty religious toward Yahweh, but then were unjust as well. And, um, like, just thinking about Isaiah chapter 1, right, that that God says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. My sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Um, and, and then he does say, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like, will, like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. It's interesting, right? Like this is, these are the first, these are opening words of Isaiah <laughs> saying to Israel, you know, I love you, but you guys are not treating people well, and y we have to sort this out together. So there's there's right. a sense that that Israel's worship, even when it's religiously Yahweh focused, is not being played out in justice in the lives of of the people of its citizenry. So so there's a sense that yeah, you can't pull idolatry or or misguided worship apart from injustice right um that it it's typical that idolatry leads to injustice you get that picture in the book of revelation too right that that right. when when you have a counterfeit god and yes. a counterfeit ruler and counterfeit prophets you get persecution you get martyrdom you get people the, the righteous dying and sure and so 
Uh, yeah, I, I think just there's that false worship and injustice are always together. Um, can, yeah. can I expand really quick? Yeah. It'd be interesting to have heard a story of um, those in, in, you know, the, you know, the Southern kingdom mm-hmm. going to their poor immigrant neighbors or something, you know, welcome the alien, the immigrant care for the poor, yeah. apologizing to them corporately yeah. and going, we are so sorry for the way we treated the widow, the immigrant, yeah. the, we, we, you know, we who had power in the temple or we who had economic control of all the farms yeah. and blah, blah, blah. We're sorry we missed you. But you don't really see that. You see Daniel. I guess I would, li- yeah. like one example I would think of is you actually don't see any time that David apologizes to Bathsheba for murdering her husband hmm. or um, or even to Israel. He doesn't really apologize. He apologizes to God. Against you and you only have I sinned, right? Psalm 51. Right. And you're like, actually, you're like, no. no, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you sinned. Like, yeah, Uriah, yeah, exactly. Uriah is dead. Uriah is in the grave. You sinned against yeah, Uriah. Totally, you sinned yes. against your soldiers sure. who you you made to be incl- implicit in his murder. You sinned against Bathsheba, who should have been married to him. You probably, because of the power differential between you and Bathsheba, it was not just an affair, you know, mm-hmm. totally. against you and you only have I sinned. Like, a, yes, you should have apologized. So I think linking this sense of like God, God always says, hey, remember, when you sin, first of all, you do it before me. And that is a that's the deepest, worst thing you could do. But the effect of sin, you see that in Genesis 1, when they turn away from God's law, one of the first things that happens is men and women start trying to dominate each other and mm. the children of those two people one of them gets killed by the other so there's a sense of like, as soon as you start to turn away from mm. a love for god the whole thing it, we start treating each other badly and so god says if you want to if you want a just society where people don't treat each other badly like we got to sort this vertical thing out first mm. um and then you get the teachings of jesus who does say if you've done something wrong, stop everything, including your religious stuff, and go make it right. Hmm. Right? And, I, yeah. and, the, and we, again, we think of that individualistically. But if we have done it all together against you or against all of you, why wouldn't Jesus' teaching apply not only to you but to y'all, mm-hmm. I think is how I... So sure. it's putting all those teachings together, right? That, yeah. Uh, there's always a sense that your first confession is vertical to right. God. Right. But that doesn't mean, no, me and God have sorted it out, so I just don't have to bring it up with the person I actually offended. So, sure. Or the people that we actually offended. Yeah. Now, I don't, like, yeah, maybe there's no stories of that. Like, you don't, like today's life journaling, you don't get Israel going to the Midianites to apologize for what they did or the Canaanites. So, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. But. Right. But it just it, yeah, <laughs> and and I and I totally get that, and I and, and that makes sense. I just I it dovetails a little bit with the first question about virtue signaling because mm-hmm. I wonder if it's just like um, if we're only thinking the horizontal, and we're not like I would imagine that if we really wanted to apologize, uh, like if I'm living in the southern part of America and you know, maybe we need to do this too here, but like if I lived in the South Mm -hmm. and I wanted to apologize to my black neighbors, 
um, it feels like we should be seeing a lot of vertical stuff happening too, like mm-hmm. coming in prayer and in worship nights to simply lament and say, Lord, mm-hmm. we are sorry for the treatment of our black neighbors. Mm-hmm. We're so sorry for what our ancestors have done. Like, we're sorry for what we've done as the church. Lord, would you forgive us? And like, almost mm-hmm. like the sense of like prayer and worship and confession. Mm-hmm. And, but that then it would be connected to, you know, loving your African-American neighbor mm-hmm. on, on the street. I guess that, I, I don't know. I felt like, it felt like what Daniel's doing. It seems like he's just coming straight to God. Yeah, David does this. Mm-hmm. Daniel does this. Seems like Nehemiah and Ezra, they're all doing this. Mm-hmm. That, that, that that corporate confession in the Bible looks like a whole lot of coming before God in worship and just going, or in prayer and saying, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. And uh, I think it's uh, Sung Chan Ra. He wrote a book called Prophetic Lament. Hmm. And he's a Korean... American th- Korean theologian, and um, I haven't read the whole book. I've seen some some portions of it, and his point is that uh, that typically dominators aren't good at that language, that lamenting language, mm. and particularly, you know, colonializers, colonizers, um, and the American mindset and that kind of like go take the hill kind of thing just doesn't do like man, we screwed up kind of language. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's very hard to do. Um, yeah. So. I just, I guess yeah. for me, I feel like it's, it's interesting that you're, I mean, I know that you're, you're sort of, you're pushing on principle a little bit, Matthew. Like, I feel like I can't imagine the Lord in any way minding a contrite spirit, his bride, the church, coming to neighbors that they know have been damaged, let's say mm-hmm. historically by, you know, whether it's racial injustice or whatever it is, um, and just and coming before them in humility and apologizing and saying, we recognize that our, let's say it's, you know, our, our relatives or our, our, our ancestors, our, you know, whatever, um, uh, did a lot of damage to, to maybe not to you, but actually probably indirectly to you, if we're talking First Nations people, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We can say for sure. Um, uh, you know, and so I, I just, you know what I mean? I just can't imagine the how that's not a win, <laughs> you know, to to come and to just say like we right. we are apologizing to you and whether or not and it could just be that we because we haven't done anything like you know if if nothing else it's like well we're not even the prayer that we we're actually praying each week often the, the I think it's the Anglican from the Book of Common yes. Prayer there you know for the sins that we have done or the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone yes um, so I guess I just sort of see it as like I don't know this seems like a in my mind it feels like a, a no brainer that if we're sincere in bringing a humble heart and an apology for something that we know has been done wrong on our watch, or at least that we are benefiting from and we are seeing the exact opposite from another people group or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah, and actually your question dovetails nicely into my third pushback okay. because I, I, think, I think if we're not connected vertically with the Lord— we're only, if we're only thinking horizontal, then we start apologizing for all kinds of stuff that may or may not be things you need to apologize for. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that may sound like dangerous, <laughs> but when I'm, and and I don't and I'm not thinking anything specific right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it felt like Daniel, Nehemiah, maybe even David. There's this connection of like, Lord, I really want what you want for my life, right? And I'm seeing, and I want you. And so when that vertical worship is happening. I feel like it could give clarity to um, it's Isaiah going into the temple, going, mm-hmm. oh, "I'm I, I'm I'm unclean, and I live amongst people of unclean lips." Yeah. Like, 
like I just saw God like mm-hmm. like whoa I I see mm-hmm. my iniquity right so I think there's something about coming like Daniel coming before the Lord or Nehemiah's or coming before the Lord and it gives clarity because here's my third pushback I feel like I to enter this conversation I don't have clarity mm-hmm. I, I love clarity <laughs> because it felt like Daniel and Nehemiah so point three here Daniel and Nehemiah confessed the sins that they knew their people had done. But today, sometimes, and now I'm speaking personally, Mm -hmm. it has felt murky, I would say. It feels murky. Now, let's say, like, uh, because I'm from America, I'll use this example, like, slavery. That's not murky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get that, right? Like, like 400 years of of slavery. Like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, sorry, 250 years of slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it... It's horrible. It's 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 terrible, right? And so, like, like so, where the church, um, uh, Tony and I were watching a show the other night, and and this this character used scripture to like to condone slavery, right? And I'm just like, it just breaks your heart, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like you're you're literally reading the masters and slave portion of some epistle and justifying the beating of your slave, right? Like oh, it's horrible, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm like. That to me, I have a lot of clarity around going, yes. Um, but even there, like, w- who am I apologizing to, and and how do you how do you apologize? But anyway, so what I'm hunting for with point three here is clarity, and I felt like you had various examples of ways in which the church might have sinned, but, and and and, and I really do think that this is this is a guess, but I think if you walked around our church and pulled people at the church, like said like. You know, if the church ever did something sinful, do you think the church should, ap- should apologize for that? Honestly, I, I feel, maybe I'm being optimistic, but that almost everyone I would talk to here would say, of course. Like, of course, of, of, feel free to push back in a second, but like, yeah. mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, of course. But the problem is, is that like, we don't, like what I feel, um, the, I feel one of the closest things that I feel like today I'd be willing to apologize for is, Christians in residential schools, right? That just seems like, it just seems so clear, right? Like the church was part of this horrible mm-hmm. thing called residential schools. That that to me, and then on that one, I'm more like, okay, so what, how do we do this? What should we do? That's that's the part that's a, a little unclear. But, but um, I need clarity. I guess I want to go back to this. I need clarity about the s- specific sins that the church really should apologize for, that the church is guilty of. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just pause right there before I, I have a couple examples, but I, any, you had pushback, Corey? Well, the only thing I, I the only thing I, I, I want to push back on, not even a pushback, but it's just like when you say, if you pulled people in the church, I actually don't know that they would say, yeah, the church should apologize. Cause I think they'd suddenly be like, oh wait, well, who did, who did? And it's like, no, like, well, we as a church, it'd be like, what do you, what do you mean? We as a church, like how, like who, Matthew? Or do you mean like, do you mean like our elders or like one of the elders or who, like who did I'm just saying, like, I have a feeling that the mindset with maybe a particular, like, with some people would be like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do what you're talking. Like, I, I know that happened, but I didn't do anything. So what, I'm not going to, you know, I, I guess I still feel like there actually might be pushback on this idea that we as a body have done this. Something, because I think that's, that's what makes it a little bit, maybe that's sort of the murky part of it, right? Where it's like, well, I've never knowingly, uh, I, you know, as an example, let's say, well, I know that I have never knowingly done this, you know, and you're saying right. that we are guilty of this. Uh, residential schools, I had nothing to do with that, you know. And it's like, well, no, but we are, 
we're part of the church, we're part of the historical church, actually, we're part of, like, this is the name of Christianity, this is Jesus, actually, you know, and so as as part of that, we actually, we say that we're guilty. Sorry, I'm, I just want, that was the only thing I was going to push back on. I, okay. I just feel like, yeah, I don't yeah. know how people would even respond to that, because I think they'd be like, mm-hmm. well, who did? Like, it might who? depend like, on the person. Like, and maybe yeah. I just mean casually, like, like, like Tanya's, Tanya's parents and grandparents, um, you know, were in Europe, right? And they have stories of, like, they were Germans, right? So technically they're the bad guys, right? But they have stories of like people from other countries doing really horrible things to mm-hmm. their, to Tanya's parents and grandparents. And, and, and I feel like in a conversation, if Tanya would ever share that story uh, with someone from Romania or Poland or something like that, like a Polish person would go, I, I'm really sorry that your parents experienced that. Like if it was just one-on-one, like right, I feel right. like they'd be like, I'm sorry for like, you know, like, mm. I feel like most people would do that. Like, I, like, maybe not. Maybe I'm being too No, optimistic. no, yeah, no, no, I hear okay. you. Yep, yep, totally. It just feels like when there's clarity, then mm. you, you're kind of like, ah, I get it. And I think in the modern, like, Tim, you used a lot of groups in your sermon. Mm-hmm. Like, you talked about, like, everything from BLM to Missing and Murdering Indigenous mm-hmm. uh, and to even the Pride Parade. Mm-hmm. Um at that moment, I felt the air leave the room. <laughs> the air got sucked out of the room. Um, but because uh, I, because I, I, let me use my second example first. Because I think like if you talk about let's say the LGBTQ community, and let's say let's say a po- here's here's where I'm unclear, right? If we said okay, there's the pride movement exists because people have felt you know LGBTQ people have felt persecuted and they felt like like marginalized and so they have this parade every year to remind themselves that they have dignity right let's just Mm -hmm. let's just say i think that's why the parade is there so so let's say i wanted to apologize for any way in which the church has hurt the lgbtq community okay so roll with this scenario Mm -hmm. i want to apologize and what i want to do is apologize for any kind of homophobia let's say right now, what I mean by homophobia is uh, anyone who's experienced bullying, bigotry, condemnation, exclusion from the church, right? Like it's, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And I think the church, we should say, man, you know, you're, the church like um, treated you that way, said those things. Like, I'm really sorry, you know, mm-hmm. but here's, here's what I, here's what I'm not willing to apologize for. I'm not willing to apologize for, um, the the biblical view of marriage that I have between a man and a woman. And, and today homophobia can simply mean that you hold to a traditional view of marriage. So if I apologize for homophobia, what am I apologizing for? Okay. This is just my point on clarity. I would love clarity as to say, like, if I was sitting across from someone who was gay and they felt really hurt by the church, I'd be like, man, I am really sorry. And I think most people here at North Langley would do that, right? But if I'm called to like apologize blanket for my hope blanket homophobia to the LGBTQ community, I'm like, I don't even know if I don't even know if we mean what they mean. And I don't even know if they mean what we mean. And we're it is just one big confusing blob. That's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> confusing blob. Con- I, it feels nebulous. I, mm-hmm. I think I think it's important to distinguish an apology from confession. Uh, not it, mm. not that they're not related. Right. Apology is one kind of confession. Confession is telling the truth. Yes. Right? Apology is 
telling the truth about the specific thing that I did or we did actively. And and they are related, but I think there's ways of confessing the truth about how a church or this church or our small group or whatever has has not been a safe place for vulnerable people or for people that are in a period of confusion or people that don't fit in for whatever reason and confessing that truth and feeling the sorrow of that and then saying okay god holy spirit like what do we do with that sorrow how does that promote earnestness and the desire to make things right and do justice and those kinds of things. And if an apology is part of that and we've genuinely felt the sorrow of it and we can see the place where where there's a plugging in between things that we represent or things that we participate in, even from the back of the crowd or whatever, that make it clear that we should make a specific apology then we should do that. But we should also reserve the right to do that with nuance. And I think that's a chance, like any, like with the Shalom series, right? With everything wants to be polarized and you just, we want to put everyone in a box and either you're way over here or you're way over here and there's nothing in between instead of saying everything has a, a lot of resolution to it in terms of like, yeah, if we only look at things in low resolution, you don't get a very clear picture of what's going on. A high resolution says, okay, we can, we can confess and apologize for lack of empathy. We can confess and apologize for dehumanizing. Mm. We can confess and apologize for conversion therapy that tries to shock somebody out of their their sexual orientation, or um, you know, we or apologize or at least confess that that strategy employed by many people in the church was a, not a good way to approach things and it s- certainly wasn't gospel centered and it mm-hmm. was massively misguided and we tell the truth about that you know and also yeah. we we confess our faith that we believe the scriptures speak the truth about what marriage is meant to be and where our identities fit within our body and our you know those kinds of things too mm-hmm. just as that example anyway no that that yeah it honestly i <laughs> I feel like I can feel the heaviness of this mm-hmm. or, or the complexity of it. Cause even let's say words like exclusion, we're sorry that you felt excluded or sure. you, when you said conversion therapy, I'm like, can you define that for me? Totally. Did it, did it mean that I right. sat down and, and you said to me confidentially, like when I was a youth pastor, let's say yeah. a kid sits down and goes, I don't want to be gay. Can we yeah. pray about this? Like I want to live it, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, okay. Um, Actually, I don't know if the situation ever happened, yeah. <laughs> as I recall. But, but you know, but it's like, oh, if I prayed with this kid who genuinely didn't want to feel this attraction to the same gender, is is that like, was that conversion therapy, or is yeah. it like, you know what I mean, or or is it maybe more the stuff you hear on the yeah. news of kind of, like, I, so we can't get sucked into like the stereotype stereotyped versions of who we are and say, okay, yeah, we're sorry about being that stereotype if that stereotype is not what we are. Mm. But we do have to take responsibility for what we have been and ways that we have done things that dehumanize people. Which which almost feels like what you need to do then is, and this is where my default then is to go one-on-one, mm-hmm. is to hear from a single person, wh- what's your pain? Yeah. And if they can articulate it, then I can understand it and yeah. say I'm sorry. So I guess then the question is, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 
tens of thousands of individual people told their story and they all have the same themes Hmm. about abuse Hmm. and mistreatment dehumanization colonization and the the systematic attempt to eradicate a culture Hmm. individuals Mm -hmm. each telling their story about that under policies that represent a nation or represent a church right what do we do with that right right that yes it is personal Mm -hmm. but we also have to contend that there are many personal stories about very similar experiences Mm -hmm. again and again that make it clear this wasn't just you had a bad teacher you individually had one bad teacher but there was a system that empowered Mm -hmm. bad people (laughs) to do bad things to tens of thousands of people but what i wish is they each had an individual christ follower sit down over a coffee and say i'm so sorry versus probably stephen harper's apology didn't yeah didn't put a dent in their pain it well yeah and i mean if you read responses to that it's like okay thank you that's a good start Uh, and i and i think the i mean that that's the point i think is that and that's why we're having this meeting tonight about First Nations ministry, is in the at the end of the day, I don't know what to do about Canada. I don't know about what to do about indigenous people around the world. I know I live in Langley, mm-hmm. in the ancestral lands of the Stolo people. Mm-hmm. And I know North Langley, you know, that there's 1,500 of us with our roots down in this community. Yeah. What if we did become... One church, yes, that got face to face, one on one with people, and said, "Tell me your story." Oh, that grieves me. I feel the sorrow of that. Yeah. What would it look like for us to journey forward, where you don't experience me as a dominator, but as a friend? Yes. I don't know what that looks like, and you're going to have to help me understand what that looks like. And I will do my best to build trust, build back the trust that for you was torn out of the ground by generations of people before. Yes. yes. You know, that it, yeah. it does have to happen locally for it to be meaningful, which doesn't discount the fact that you need government policy that gives clean water to people, that provides mental health supports for kids who are feeling hopeless, that provides medical care that's more than 100 or 300 kilometers away. It's, you know, there are policies sure. like that that are presently making it really difficult for, for your First Nations people. And we, that has to be dealt with, too. Totally. And the more we become friends with people who experience those realities, the more we own that and say, hey, you're doing that to my friend, and we want to, and we right. participate in it. And that's what makes reconciliation meaningful as opposed to mm-hmm. an apology from far away saying, yeah, sorry about that, and, yeah. and then yeah. leaving it there. No, I get that. I feel like I have to pause right now and just be like, I want to tell everyone who's listening, like, I do really want this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm sounding like no, you're the doing, cynic yeah, in the you're... corner. Like, I, I really do want reconciliation, and I want um, it, with all kinds of people who have felt hurt by the church. Like, I really do. Can we take like a commercial break and like, yep, and totally. uh, just say like something about? Uh... Do you suffer from? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> yeah, like literally, like you want me to? No. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, no. Just like a commercial break oh, to be yeah, like yeah. Matthews is still. But on I think board no. I think the I th- train of reconciliation. No, no, I, no, no. I feel like what you're doing, though, if I can vouch for you, I feel yes. like what you're doing is, like, you are saying, like, well, you said at the beginning, and I think you're legitimately doing this, where you're like, I, I can already hear 
I can already hear in my head, you know, the pushback on this and this and this, and and maybe legitimate pushback. And so you're you're presenting these things, and whether or not how much you are feeling it, or or you're like maybe I feel like, you know, eleven percent of this, you know, whatever. But I know someone who feels eighty five percent, like they're really, you know, I think you're doing that. That's important. It's important for us to have these conversations. So, okay, I don't think anyone's mm-hmm. yeah. looking at you as though you're like, no, you're just you're kind of the you're you're doing the job is what you're doing. <laughs> Well, another thought on clarity, too, yeah, I yeah. think, um, you know, we, we look back on the scripture and we read Daniel, we read Isaiah, we read Nehemiah, we, we read Second Chronicles or whatever, and we're like, yeah, it's clear what their problem was. Because there's a prophetic insight to that, there's also a hindsight <laughs> insight right. to that. Right. You know, you've got Israel sitting in Babylon going, how did we get here? This is not the way it was supposed to be. And they're thinking about it. And I feel like we're just in early days of that certainly in North America, in terms of the... And that's why I mentioned all those movements that are sort of bringing things to the surface that 30 years ago, like, none of us really learned much about the oppression of marginalized people in elementary school, you know, because the history is being told by somebody different. And now, as things have kind of emerged and there's more indigenization in schools and all that kind of thing, like, it's like becoming... There's clarity. And it, I mean, when I was starting to look into this over the last year, it was not that far down the rabbit hole in terms of Google searches before you find clarity, you know, right. in terms right. of the things that have happened or, you know, into the library or whatever. Like there's, it doesn't take too long. And especially now with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, like there's plenty of clarity on mm-hmm. what's happening if you care to look for it. Um, right. And it, in not looking for it doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> sure, sure. So, yeah. One, one, one final example of the clarity thing. I've and Tim's heard me say this like three times, but um, you know, I did. I read the story of the Stolo people, uh, the river people. Um, giving permission to the Hudson's Bay Company to settle in the area of Fort Langley. And the Hudson's Bay Company was instrumental in protecting the Stolo from this other tribe of First Nations that was taking, that they're from Vancouver Island, and they were taking away the Stolo community as slaves, Mm -hmm. right? So they were enslaving the river people, taking them back to Vancouver Island. So therefore, Hudson's Bay Company settlers here in Langley, I'm told, uh, were welcomed, and they were given land because they were like, "Thank you for protecting us, mm-hmm. like from these people that were trying to make us slaves." And so, one of the questions that I need clarity on is like, I'm thinking, okay, so what is it that if I live in Langley and I live in Fort Langley, and I'm thinking, what it, what is the apology that I'm that I'm called to give? Mm-hmm. Um, what if the problem? is that maybe it's a bit more complicated. Maybe it's that the Hudson's Bay Company settlers and the First Nations and the Stolo people had a different understanding of land ownership, right? Like, what if it's kind of just like, it's not anyone's fault. It's like, (laughs) you know, a European tradition has this idea of owning land and the Stolo said, you can settle here. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, like it, and, and that's why, um, a few years ago, there was this idea that, like, at Yorkson and Walnut Grove, maybe we could get up every Sunday and say something like, um, this is unceded territory, 
you know, that official statement that you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just being confused. And, and, and then, you know, I feel like I, I sound like a bigot just saying this out loud, especially since it's on a podcast that's recorded. <laughs> but, but, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I, I, I just don't get it, I don't think. Because I think like, well, okay, like, you know, like, I, like the story that, I, that I'm reading here mm-hmm. uh, doesn't match this idea of this. And, 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 and again, maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm uninformed, I'm uneducated. But, but the point is, I, I, I want to be, I want clarity around what it is that I should apologize for. And, um, and, and I feel like if I have it, then, um, and I know this is a journey you're on, Tim, you're mm-hmm. getting clarity, right? And maybe I'm just like, super far behind you, right? And getting clarity. But what would you say to someone like me that's just like sitting there going, unseated territory? Wait, but I thought they welcomed Hudson's mm-hmm. Bay Company. Like that doesn't sound like maybe other parts of North America where it was snatched away. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I would say there's more to the story, like especially okay. after 1885 when the Indian Act came in. And I'm, I'm still learning a bit about that. But certainly once Canada was was became a dominion hmm. and had national policy including the Indian Act it th- how things were for first nations people versus uh you know the rest of Canada hmm. changed so there's there's definitely there's more to the story than just those early days sure that were that were a little bit better for sure um yeah not only that i also i feel like and again i I, I may know the least out of the three of us with this, but like I feel like if you're if you're playing a game with someone and you thought that you both understood the rules mm-hmm. a certain way, and it turns out that your way just happens to be a little more dominant and you end up kind of like kind of stealing the not stealing, but like you know winning the winning the game in a way that may actually overall feel unfair because you you both had different understandings of the rules. like and you kind of end up sweeping the whole thing. And the other, you know, the the your buddy there is is sitting there and like has nothing left, and you're and you Are kind you of talking about like, poker. Yeah. <laughs> what right. did I miss? Yeah, exactly. It's right. no, no, it? yeah. no. Does our right. worship pastor play poker? <laughs> he does. He does. Although not not enough. Actually, I wish I could play more. Um, poker's okay, right? You're gonna have to edit right? that out. Is it for real money? I, <laughs> Corey, <laughs> you're missing the point. The point is, the point is that in a situation, you know, you would like I would think that especially if it's more of a serious game, like it's like well. That actually that kind of sucks. That's kind of that's kind of brutal, actually. And so, mm-hmm. and especially if it's like, well, no, sorry, like we we both we had right. Hey, we both signed this. You know, whatever. I'm I'm moving away from that metaphor or that example, but we both signed off on this. Like you signed, so hey, you know. And it's like, okay, so maybe it was within your rights, and yet we can all look back and say, wow, that's really sad for the person who misunderstood how you s- saw this. You know, and you happen to be stronger now, and you can. So you're. It's all kind of. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like right. it's, no matter what, I'm like, an apology still sounds like a really good idea, you know? Yeah, and uh, particularly with land, um, it isn't just two two equal but different views of land ownership. You know, the First Nations vision for the stewardship of the land that has been passed down for thousands of generations, and if you take care of it, it takes care of you view versus the doctrine of discovery, which was, you know, papal declarations made in the 14 and 1500s saying hey god has given us a mandate to take any land that's not overseen by christians and subjugate its peoples god says thumbs up to that right that's ridiculous that's heresy right it's heresy mm-hmm. but 
it that as recently as 2005 uh that was cited in legal decisions in the United States over how land should be used in favor of the government not of first nations mm-hmm. people a doc a doctrine that is full of baloney you know right um so it it isn't just like well you see it this way i see it that way it's like you see it as stewardship and i see it as god gave me the right to beat you up cuz you mm-hmm. weren't a christian when i met you mm-hmm. so wow. we have to face that too yeah by the way i'd like to just put on the record that tim used the phrase full of baloney Yes. <laughs> That's a technical term. Can I, I just learned ask in seminary. a quick question about that? Did you guys? Do you, any of you guys still eat bologna sandwiches? I've never eaten bologna. You've never it. eaten bologna. That's I why I use it as a since like curse. Since I used to, <laughs> since the nineties. I know. Me too. But I love bologna sandwiches, especially with lettuce, mustard, bit That's of sauce. Did you ever take off that that <laughs> no. that, that, that wax that wax side to it? Yes. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. I was sometimes just. I would sometimes just eat it if I was feeling like kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. But then I usually I would actually peel it off. That is so interesting, you guys. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's our little uh, baloney commercial <laughs> in the middle here. Okay, a um, couple more points here. One, what? Two more pushbacks. Okay, one is, okay, and this we're we're kind of pulling away from your sermon mm-hmm. on this point because I I feel like though this sermon had a taste or a flavor of what I feel like. I get like the like I'm smelling it in the air or whatever. It's like it could feel like like Marxism, um, and s- kind of like this idea of identity politics, where whether it's your gender, your sexuality, uh, or, um, your race, like that that you become like that identity informs your politics, and that then there's this power game, right? And you're mm-hmm. trying to win this power struggle. Um, and everything is kind of a binary between oppressed and oppressor. So, so someone's pr- privileged and the other person is oppressed. And, and Marx had this idea of this overthrow of power, right? So mm-hmm. you're not going to renew the system. The system's corrupt. The system, it's literally systemic evil, right? So get rid of it, overthrow the system, and Bishop Barron says that Marx had this idea of the social theory of antagonism, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like it. he almost liked violence. And I'm not saying that you were – I'm not saying any of us mm-hmm. were saying anything about violence. But it's just this idea of like a social theory of antagonism where it's a class struggle. Mm-hmm. And the system really has – this system of the way of viewing the world has no hope. I feel like it's a constant cycle. And this is where I feel like it – you get whiffs of it in like kind of the woke thing these days because mm-hmm. it's just like everything is a constant cycle of critique and tearing down and overthrowing structures of power. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just void of hope. Like, um, and, 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 you know, I had, I had referenced intersectionality in a previous sermon, but just this idea that like, that like the further you are down the, the list in intersectionality. So it's like, like uh, if you are a white male who's a Christian who has wealth who's able-bodied or whatever, you are at like the bottom tier, and you are you must be silenced, right? And and I feel like it's like we need to overthrow everything that you, the white male who's wealthy who's able-bodied, like you're you are the problem, mm-hmm. and so. It's it's less about individual sins because I, as a white male, could say like I don't think I'm a racist, right? Mm-hmm. But no, no, you, but you, 
okay, you, Matthew, stop thinking of yourself as an individual. It, this is a class struggle. This is identity politics. Mm -hmm. And you, by just being a white male, are part of the problem. And, and so I want to pause there. But, like, Tim, please, and I need to, like, double underline this. Tim did not say any of this in his sermon. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is... <laughs> The cultural moment right now has a lot of this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when Tim gets up and says something that could like vaguely sound like a melody that you've heard before, mm -hmm. <laughs> because you referenced BLM mm -hmm. that I feel like has this, I feel like the LGBTQ, the pride like has mm -hmm. this as part of its background. So I'm like, oh, those make me feel like you're, you're singing the same tune, mm -hmm. um, which I know you weren't, but what mm -hmm. would you say to that? Great question. I, I think the Bible is, the Bible does see power dynamics at work um, and rejects them. Hmm. So uh, I think of a lot of examples of that. But, uh, you know, when, when, when Satan says, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world, and Jesus says, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm going to worship God only. That's him right off the bat saying, I see, I know how you play the game, Satan. You love to pit power against power, and that's Genesis 3. That's not Genesis 1 and 2. So mm. I, I'm not playing that game. Um, I think of, you know, there's a couple of times when, when the disciples start arguing over who gets to be on top of the heap, right? And mm. um, so Luke 22 is one of those spots at the Lord's Supper. Dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest, King, uh, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority of them call themselves benefactors. So he's acknowledging there is actually power dynamics at work mm. in, in society. But you are not to be like that. Don't play that game. Instead, the greatest among, of you, among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves. Mm. Is it not the one who's at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves. And in the the other time that I have this argument, right, he says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. And John's version of this moment is when Jesus gets up from the table and it says he knew where he was going. He knew the power dynamics that were at play. God had given him everything. Mm -hmm. And he got up from the table, took off his outer clothing, grabbed a basin and a towel and started washing feet, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what Paul is reflecting on in Philippians 2. And he says... You know, we should all have the mindset of Christ that even though he was in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? He did not consider his privilege as the center of everyone's attention, mm -hmm. something to hold on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and uh, becoming obedient even to death on a cross, and self-sacrifice, right? So there's this picture that that the Christian vision is not to overthrow one system power of, of power with another. Like, it's not, history isn't just this will. Well, it wouldn't deny that there's a will to power going on in sure. history. But it, the answer is not, well, who gets to go be in charge now? The answer is subvert that power. As, as God's people, we subvert that power with the mind of Christ, with the approach of Christ, and we go in saying, yeah, maybe we, some of us have privilege. So whoever of us has privilege, we don't just disappear from the conversation. We show up as servants. We mm -hmm. show up as a gift to the world. And, and I feel like there's so much resistance to that in, you know, the 
storming of the Capitol or of, of the resistance to even talking about historic sins against mm. racism and those kinds of things, at least among some Christian environments. Um, be, because it feels like it feels unequal when you are decentered, but only to you, only if you've been at the center. Sure. Uh, as a, and I know everyone has their personal experience, and you might be, you know, you can be white or, you know, whatever, non-indigenous or those kinds of things and still feel like, I've had a rough go of things. I totally get that, right? Mm-hmm. So every every person has their personal experience as well. But there is a sense of, like, being decentered from a situation so that you actually have to think about how you play the game with others feels unequal. But to the people who've been on the margins all the time, they're going, oh, maybe there's actually room for us. And, mm-hmm. and, and as Christians, we, should, we don't necessarily have to feel like, oh, I guess I have nothing to say here. I'm nobody. I have nothing. You know, nothing. But we should be looking at Jesus' teaching yeah. on what it means to have privilege. And Jesus' example of what it means to have privilege. The one who had the most privilege in the entire universe mm-hmm. set all that aside aside so that he could raise up the people who had nothing and were actually dead in transgressions and sins sure. and raise them up to seat them with him in his place of privilege. Mm-hmm. Tim McCarthy uses uh, the foot washing here as a mic drop moment. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, who can argue with that, right? Like I, I totally agree. And I feel like that is the posture we're called to take. Um, but I would say that even that, is not what the current Marxist thing like, because then you're engaging as a servant Mm -hmm. rather than just like be silent and listen. And, and I think listening is part of humble service, but I feel like, yeah. But that servanthood is exactly what defangs a Marxism, right? Because the Marxism says, no, see, look, you're doing your power thing. Right. And, and then you look and you see people sacrificially coming alongside of people mm-hmm. and maybe even forgiving one another in the midst of because reconciliation is hard and there's going to be times when even the people that maybe we wronged and now we're trying to do something and they don't take it mm-hmm. the way we hoped and now we feel hurt so we need to forgive too and there's lots of exchanges going on like that too Oh, that's a good word forgive okay here's a quick one so like i have this Uh, as I was kind of preparing for this moment, I was thinking about like tearing down systems. And even if you tear all the structures down, like Mm -hmm. as a Marxist, you'll still have sin there because you're there. I'm there. We're there. Right. So you can eliminate all the systemic evil. And if we're still there, there's still sin Mm -hmm. because we'll build up systems of evil, you know, because we're there. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he writes, you know, the lines between good and evil run through the human heart. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm like, the problem is in me, and I feel like the gospel rejects Marxism but and calls me to recognize, it calls me into forgiveness. And you just mentioned forgiveness. Yeah. And I feel like in the modern social justice movements, forgiveness is like uh, the dodo bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that bird has gone extinct. <laughs> I know that. Thanks for the You know clarity. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, like, these modern movements uh, seem uninterested in, like, forgiveness now i'm the white guy saying that i mean what Mm -hmm. (laughs) well all three of us are um but like what what about forgiveness like Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah what would you say to that tim Mm -hmm. i do i think of the story in uh acts two where 
Peter get you know the Holy Spirit falls and uh, falls on the community. Everyone asks what it's all about, and Peter preaches the gospel. And he closes by speaking to this group of thousands of people and says, you crucified Jesus. Hmm. Well, they didn't all, like, there was not a great long lineup of people each taking one swing of the hammer crucifying Jesus, right? Like, they weren't all personally implicated in the crucifixion of Jesus. But Peter's saying, like, you are part of this system that led to the most righteous person in all of history being crucified when he wasn't, he didn't deserve that. You did that. And they hear this and they take it to heart. They actually are convicted of it. They don't just go, oh, I wasn't there. I didn't have, like 3,000 of these people at least say, okay, I get it. What do I do? Hmm. We, something that we were all about led to that. And I am convicted deeply by that. What do we do? And Peter says, repent and believe the good news and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, and, and, and that's their response. They repent, and they believe the good news. And the next thing that happens is this body of people who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to, you know, all this. So something, ha- some a reconciling happened. And Ephesians 2 talks about that whole dividing wall of hostility being torn down so that Jews who view Gentiles as aggressors and Gentiles who view Jews as weird and, you know, don't fit in, now are sitting at the same table. And it's not that Gentiles are asked now to be like Jews, nor are Jews forced to be like Gentiles, but together as different people, they're, they've experienced forgiveness together and are now building a new, a totally new community that's going to be messy because you have to figure out, well, you eat pork. I don't eat pork. I, I find pork offensive. I, I don't, you know, you keep these days and I don't keep those days. And Can I eat that? And can I... and that's part of working out what it means to be a community of forgiveness. And so, um, I don't know if I've drifted from the point there, but I, th- I think th- there's this sense that that forgiveness is the hope uh, of something new being born. Um, that said, you know, I can't come to someone who carries with them the burdens and the wounds of a hundred years of you know ancestral sin and trauma and all that kind of thing and just say okay I'm sorry forgive me come on it's your obligation to forgive me you know that there's a that's a journey they have to go on mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that journey will involve a, a long time of building trust because because it's hard sometimes especially if you haven't encountered the grace of God in a way that is meaningful to you. It's hard to understand why forgiveness would be healing if you are afraid that when you turn around, it'll be done to you again. Sure. Um, No, I I, I get that. But this is where my final pushback is. Mm -hmm. Like, this is number five here. And you're you're just like, this is perfect transition. (laughs) Because uh, I want to know how that corporate reconciliation and forgiveness actually can work. Because even as you're just like... I know I can't mandate forgiveness. I can't tell someone who my ancestors have hurt, yeah. you know, you need to forgive me or, or something like that. But if you're the oppressor, this is how I feel. Um, or let's say my ancestors were oppressors mm-hmm. or whatever. We're not, a, we're not allowed to control the reconciliation process. So my job is to stop speaking and listen 
And this is the only way apparently we can get to healing. Mm -hmm. So I need to check my privilege. I need to repent of my white fragility. And it's like, Matthew, just listen, right? But when I look at the church in Acts 2, which you were just describing Mm -hmm. at Pentecost, it looks so different. And this is what I see. It's like the spirit falls and there's like Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek, Samaritans, like Mm -hmm. they're all eating together fellowshipping together, like maybe not Samaritans yet. That's like later in an ax, but like, but then in the early church, you have all of this diversity, which you just mentioned Mm -hmm. worshiping together. And here's where they had unity. They had unity in the spirit. Now in that scenario, I could be the Roman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm the occupier, right? Like I'm the, I'm the one with all the privilege and the power. I've got the soldiers on my side. I've got the, you know, maybe I'm a Roman centurion, right? So I want to be like a, like a drone or like a camera or something like Mm -hmm. back in acts two and be like, what were those conversations like? Like, you know, but I feel like they were happening one-on-one around a table of Mm -hmm. unity. Um, Galatians three, there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free male nor female for you are one in Christ. Yeah. So I feel like you could, I could be accused of white fragility, but I'm looking at this going, I don't think this is this forgiveness reconciliation thing is looks like, the early church where reconciliation between groups came from the filling of the spirit and a shared table of hospitality Mm -hmm. where communion, the cross is at the center of this thing Mm -hmm. and we've got unity in the spirit. And I feel like any vision of reconciliation or forgiveness happens as like, okay, I'm just picturing it. Like the Roman is sitting there with the Samaritan and be like, tell me your story. Tell me your story. You're here because of Jesus. Yeah. I'm here because of Jesus. You were filled with the spirit. I was Mm -hmm. filled with the spirit hilarious we come from we're like eating like we're eating like pork together like i don't know we're eating we're taking communion together and like and to me like the idea of like big apologies or whatever it feels like when you look at acts it's like oh it's a bunch of different people around a table and they had unity in the spirit Mm -hmm. and they just probably had lots of conversations and they were all forgiving each other Mm -hmm. and trying to you know what i mean like it's it's not this like um, structured thing that we've got to go like step one, public apology, step two, check your privilege and listen. Step three, like, I don't know what, you know, uh, uh, educate yourself. Step four. And I'm like, did that really happen that way? Like, I feel like uh, it feels more organic. I don't know. I'm just sure. But I I, like you've had couples in your, in your office. Sure. That are in serious crisis. Right. That's right. And the answer is both of you just need to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and go on a date. It's like, maybe. That's kind of what what I say. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Really. But, you know, depending on the level of crisis Mm -hmm. or the level level of betrayal by one to the other, Hmm. you might have to lay it out step by step by step Hmm. for them to go, okay, we could make it. Hmm. Instead of this will never happen. Right. Right. And I think that at least in, in the relationship between on a group. And again, this is thinking at different resolutions on a group level, people of privilege versus people on the margins is more like, at least in some situations, more like that couple coming in, in deep crisis going, we, make, we might just give this up. Hmm. And yes, it'd be great if we could all just get in a room and pray and the Holy Spirit would fall. 
And, but what if one of those people says, I am not going in a room with that person. Hmm. I can't. Last time I was in a room with that person, they hit me, you know, totally. Then how do we build a path? Yeah. That at least gets them looking at each other and maybe talking to each other instead of yelling at each other. Sure. And then talking about the topics where the hurt was done mm-hmm. and then take it, you know, et cetera. So yeah. I think there's that yeah, sense, yeah. you know, uh, that the Holy Spirit is not in contrast to careful shepherding of a process. Totally. Like, and, and I see that with church discipline in Matthew 18, yeah. right? This is what happens. You start with this and then you go to that. Like yeah. there's a process that, yeah, no, I get that. And I think it's important that, whatever unity in the spirit looks like is not like what first nations people experienced was you can be unified with us in the spirit. If you set aside every part of your culture, your language, the length of your hair, anything that smacks of anything other than European ways of life. Sure. Then we'll have unity with you. Right. And, and the kind of trauma that happened from those roots being pulled up from the ground mm. of bonding and attachment and sure. love and culture formation, all that type of thing yeah. was devastating. Mm. So unity of the spirit is going to have to be different than that if anyone's going to take it seriously. That's right. That's right. And I, can I just add, like, I feel like, like I'm thinking about like yeah, to whom much has been given, much will be asked. And I'm thinking about like even what what you're saying, Tim, and I, I agree with that. Like even when you think about, say Peter, you know, preaching, like it's like well, wasn't Peter wasn't in a position like the world is so much different, right? Especially when you're talking about the privileged, like Peter wouldn't necessarily have been in that position, right? Like in fact, he might have been on the opposite side of it, where he's, you know, whatever. Like so, I feel like I do feel as though the responsibility does need to lie with the person or the group that has power. Like mm-hmm. I, I've, I believe that intuitively that if I, if I'm in a situation where I recognize immediately, I know that I, even though this person might be being unreasonable or something, but I know, you know how you, you, you know, sometimes you're like, I know that I have more, I, for whatever reason, I have more authority or power in this situation. Like, and I, I know then that there's actually much, much has been given and much is going to be asked right now, Corey. Mm-hmm. And, I think uh, I want to just quickly point out too when you were talking uh, Matthew earlier about like the idea of like if we get rid of like the system systemics and there's still going to be if we're here there's still going to be sin I, I think that's true and I also think I also think that doesn't let us off the hook like I still mm. it's like it is true and yet I I feel like that's been and I know you're not this is not you at all but I've had personal situations where people have have used that idea to completely justify not doing anything in their life, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, sure. it's like, you know, you cheated on your wife and you left your three kids uh, and your wife. And now you, you're, you're shacking up with this, this other girl who actually left her husband and kids. And like, and it's like, well, Hey, I'm just like, I'm a broken person. I thought the church is all about grace. Like I'm a broken person. What do you mean? Like, why are you, why are you condemning me? Or why, you know? And I'm like, okay, like, okay, no, <laughs> this is wrong on many levels. Mm-hmm. And actually you still, yeah, you, you're right. You are a broken person and you, have a responsibility to actually start doing some work in this. You know, God's going to meet you where you're at, but you have to do, you got to do your part as well. So totally. I guess I just feel like it's not enough to just say, and I'm, I know you're not actually saying that, but I just want to, I felt like I'm like, yeah, we can't just say, well, the system's broken. It's going to be, it's like, you know, whatever it's, or sorry, the system is made up of people 
So, you know, whatever. It's like, whatever, we're all sinners anyways, and so it's never going to be perfect. So we should, it's like, well, we're still called to actually to try if we've been given much, much is going to be asked of us. And so we do need mm-hmm. to push into it. Anyways, that's all. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I have to like uh, uh, walk with humility and, and what f- I almost, I want all of this forgiveness, reconciliation stuff to be way more like organic and natural and not so forced. And, but of course that's me speaking from a, from where I'm at, you know, but I, it, it does, um, Tim knows this. And I think I've said this to you too, Corey, but like, just like feeling like growing up with in such a multicultural environment, growing up in South America, growing up in, in Oklahoma, I had tons of friends who were not white and, you know, and you just, and, and I'm thinking like, Oh, I felt so simple and good. And I, you know, and like, and now I feel like it, it, it feels like reconciliation seems so complicated now and it feels like really hard and maybe i just look back in a, in a nostalgic way at how easy friendships were when you're children or teenagers mm-hmm. and and now it feels like it's all in the media and now it feels like there's i honestly feel like the last couple of years has felt like walls are actually being built rather than torn mm-hmm. down and i'm like i feel like we're, we're going the wrong way mm. <laughs> i don't know that's a that's not a like an empirical statement i'm making mm-hmm. that's more of a, a feeling it feels like the more we're trying to fix this the more separated we feel and i don't i don't have an answer to that i don't know i don't even know if i'm right about that i'm just telling you how i feel it feels like uh, we're more politicized we're more angry at each other there's more walls going up but anyway i guess if we can have conversations like this this is good mm-hmm. and the conversation you're having tonight tim mm-hmm. that's yeah, great yeah yeah and i do feel like i think that if i think that the church should be the first one to, again like humility and i think i wonder if you're talking about walls and stuff and i think a lot of those walls have to do with eye for an eye and tooth for tooth and lots of like just like we're not gonna know we, we're clinging to our rights and Again, you can talk about the whole pandemic thing, right? Like we've we've had that conversation about churches, and I, I know many of us feel like it's like you know churches that are clinging to their rights and say no, like we're being oppressed. And I know that's a hot button issue, but I'm like, like of all places in Canada in 2021, like we do not need to be clinging to our rights as a church. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if as a church we're actually laying down our rights? Like, wow, that would be you know it's it's like we have so many so much to be thankful for. We are very privileged. I think that if that if if we are the first ones to say, no, we're going to actually approach this in humility mm-hmm. and seeking forgiveness, that's a, that tends to actually disarm, you know, or, or uh, is it, yeah, disarm like a situation often, right? If, you, if you're actually saying, hey, like, I am, I am sorry, I'm going to go into this with humility and a soft heart, as opposed yeah. to saying, and it doesn't mean, sorry, and I know, I, I know we should, we should land this plane quickly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we lose the fact that we are also made in the image of God. That's where I don't, like, I don't believe, like, what you're saying, you can go to the extreme far left and be like, so, you know, I'm, I'm just sorry for being alive, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm white, and I'm male, and I'm privileged, you know, like, it's like, well, no, actually, I'm not. Um, however, I am going to look for whatever I can apologize for, and whatever I can do, I mean, I'd like to say this, um, whatever I can do to make this better, and I'm also not groveling, and I'm not a doormat, and I'm not, like, you know, I'm not a lesser, like, I'm not an animal, I'm not, like, all those things, because, like, I still believe in in like the dignity of the way God has made me as a as a as a person, right? As a ch- I'm a child of God. You know what I mean? It, there's a balance there, and it doesn't mean that you suddenly it's like it's got to be you no, know, it's got to be zero or a hundred. It's like no, it doesn't. It it's humility, and it's like and it's also choosing to live as a child of God and mm-hmm. who has dignity and who has been given, you know, whatever. Uh, given the I I I'm related to my father. You know, there's something mm-hmm. really amazing about that. So, mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. <laughs> 
you. <laughs> I think I think you I think, just nailed it. I think I really nailed it. Yeah, I, that could have we could have saved ourselves an hour and a half. I know. Right if there. you would have just said that right at the top. Um, no, Tim, thank you so much, man. Mm-hmm. For, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. For for this conversation and yeah, and our thing that we love you all and yeah. Yes. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Have an awesome week. See ya.